part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I believe help my unbelief. In, in just a couple simple words, it really does capture so much of, of I think, where uh, the believer lives, where the Christian, the Christ follower lives. Those words really do capture in simplicity the struggle, but also the plea of our hearts that we need in our lives. See, if I ask the question this morning, do you believe about this? Do you believe this to be true, that, that God created all the world? Do you believe the Bible to be true? Do you believe a lot of these different things, if you want to say facts, or these different statements about the Bible? I think most of us in here would say yes. That in this big theoretical way, this big kind of capturing broad stroke, that we are believers, that we believe that there is a God that we believe that that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our personal sins, and that in Him we can have life. I think that if we look at those broad strokes, most of us gathered here, if not all of us this morning, will say, I believe. I'm a believer. And yet we wrestle every day with unbelief. When we start breaking down that, that broad, the theological, we break down you know, to the specificness of our own lives. And Okay, is God going to answer that prayer tomorrow? Is He going to be sufficient for this need in my life that nobody else even knows about? This fear that I'm dealing with, or like we saw last week, this failure that I'm dealing with. You know, is God sufficient for that? Is truly this part of my unbelief, how is God going to minister there? Well, this morning we want to go to Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Mark chapter 9, and in Mark chapter 9, we see this story that follows this tremendous event in the life of Christ, uh, the transfiguration of Christ. It's where he takes three of his disciples up and, and he, he shows them his glory. The transfiguration of Christ is, is that, uh, you know, three of the disciples got to kind of glimpse for a moment into the glory of Christ that glory that he had in heaven before he clothed himself in flesh and came. And so they see him in all this glory, and they just wanted to stay there. I mean, if you saw the glory of God and you saw the glory of Christ, wouldn't you want to stay there? And isn't that what Peter said? Can't, can't we just kind of make some tents here? John and Peter, they're going, can't we just kind of camp out here? Why do we have to go back down there to the valley when we could just stay up here on the mountain in your presence? I don't know if you've ever had those kind of spiritual experiences. And I'm not talking about some man-made spiritual experience, but I mean where God just was, I mean, he just held you. He just loved you. He just did all those things that were good and right. And you had this closeness and this intimacy with God. And you're going, okay, God, I don't want this to end. Do I really have to go back to to work, to school, to, to life, even family? It's not that you want escapism from all the chores of life. You just you want that intimacy with God. Well, that's how those three disciples felt. And, and yet Jesus says, no, we have to return. There's a ministry. There's a call. And so they go back down. And we begin to find that when they come down, they don't just find a, a, a normal day, but they find an intensity. It's kind of like spring break. You, you want to escape. I mean, isn't part of spring break to escape the reality of of uh, I like how you said it as a teacher. Okay, I'm going to have to remember to set my alarm clock tomorrow. You know, that we have to get back to a regular form. You know, there's a, a structure that our life goes, but at least for a week, maybe we get away from that structure. Maybe we're able to do some things that we don't normally do. Well, that's how that Mount of Transfiguration was. That They come back down, and, and look what happens. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and following. And when they came to the disciples, that is Jesus... 
and the three disciples that were with him, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So when they come down there, they don't find the other nine disciples just kind of eating supper or, you know, business as usual. There's actually an intense fight that's going on. And there's a crowd that's starting to assemble. And if you can remember back in schoolyard days that if there was ever a fight, you know, all of a sudden there was four people, and then all of a sudden there was 14 people, and all of a sudden there was 400 people. I mean, if there was a fight, if there was an argument coming on, everybody wanted to see a part of that. And everybody's kind of looked around. Well, that's what's happening here. They come off the Mount of Transfiguration. They hear this discussion, and it's the scribes, that is the religious leaders, that were kind of going at it with the nine disciples that had, stopped, uh, that had stayed behind. And they see that, verse 15, it says, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that is Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. So they see Jesus, and they said, Okay, you know, this is kind of going nowhere. Let's go over here. Verse 16, And he asked them, What are you arguing with about, uh, about with them? So what's going on? They begin to explain, Well, Jesus said, we had this father, he came and, and he brought his son and his son has been having these epileptic type fits and kind of, he, he goes into convulsions, he does all these different things and his body just kind of takes over and it has been since childhood, he's been like this and so he came and he heard about the miraculous healings of other people, how lame were walking, the deaf could hear and the blind could see and, and so he came And they were wanting his son, this father wanted his son to receive that same kind of healing. Problem is, your nine disciples here tried and tried and tried. And it doesn't tell us how long. We don't know if this went on for five minutes, 50 minutes, or a couple hours. But they tried everything that they could. They prayed. They touched. They did this. They had him lay down. They had him stand up. They they did everything that they could, and they could not heal him. They could not exercise this demonic oppression that he has. And so they begin to argue. They begin to be frustrated. You come to a place that you think you're going to have a source, kind of an answer to the need that you have, and they find out. And and so all of a sudden, you know, they come to a place and... and, uh, Look what happens in verse 17. This father comes up. He's in there in the crowd. It says, someone from the crowd, answer him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he had a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, again, we don't have a lot of the facts of what went on here, but we know two things. That nine disciples tried to, to exercise this demonic oppression and, and this illness from this young boy, and all nine were unable to do it. They couldn't do it individually, they couldn't do it collectively, and now there's this frustration. And, and a lot of us might say, well, of course they can't heal. You know, only Jesus can do that. The man came really to be part of Jesus' healing ministry, not the disciples. But the disciples had been healing up to that point. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, You'll, you'll find this verse, Mark six thirteen, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed with them. Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two? And he said, I want you to go into the countryside. I want you to go this way and that way. And you go out there and just kind of minister to people. And when they went out, they actually were able to do healing in Christ's name. It's none of their own power, but they've, they, they've seen, you know, the lame walk. They've seen the blind see. 
Not because they all of a sudden have miraculous powers, but because they just were doing it in the name of Christ. So, I mean, put yourself in that position. You've been doing it. You know, all of a sudden you knew that you've seen that work and, and the, the very grace of God manifests itself in that way. And now this, this father comes up and he brings the son and you're wondering why it doesn't work anymore. In a way, isn't that our Christian faith? As far as from the human dilemma? That we've seen the miraculous workings of God. We've seen God work in miraculous ways. And then some days it just doesn't seem like it's working. I don't know about you, but that is my journey with Christ. I would love to say that as your pastor, my journey with Christ started here when I was 12 years old. And it has been one just wonderful walk, increasing every day, never wavering. And what I have found out in the Christian life since I was 12 years old in the last 41 years is that my Christian walk is like this. I mean, it's up and down. But the sufficiency of my Savior has been consistent. Well, what we find here is a man that's a lot like us. He has need in his life and he has desire in his life for something to happen. He comes to God needy and he's kind of frustrated because it didn't work out. That way, I've talked to people like that before. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a situation with their children. And they came to God. They were really earnest when they came to God. And yet they did not find that immediate need or that answer to every one of their problems. They were kind of stumped by it. They kind of wondered, well, I prayed. I went to church. Here's the thing, guys. Sometimes when we get in that kind of a need... I think one of the valid questions to ask ourselves, are we answering that with a process or with a person? How many of you would agree this morning that Christianity can become a process? I'm not suggesting that it should, but that it can become a process. I mean, even things like quiet times and prayer times and stuff like that. Okay, got to have my prayer time. Got to have my time. And, and I applaud you for doing that. We should do that. Are you surprised sometimes that the Christian life can actually become a process? That we just work? And so trouble comes into our life, difficulty comes into our life, there's a need in our life, and so what do we do? Do we go to the person or do we start working the process? Being in the ministry for 33 years, it, it's amazing the stories of, that people have brought sometimes. And, and, and we had a couple in, in my last church that came, and they had not been in church for, for years and I had counseled with them uh, in their marriage for, for a long time before that. And they started, I, mean, I hadn't seen them two and two and a half, three years, and they started coming back. And they were there almost every week. And I was wondering in my mind, okay, is the marriage in trouble? And so they're going to do the process of God again, okay? But they, instead of me having to ask it, they came on and said, we just want you to know we're doing good. We just need Jesus. I said, finally, somebody who's not working God as a process. Because, folks, I'll tell you, it's amazing if you've been, especially like if you've been in one church for a long time and you kind of see the cycle of things, you see people and you're going, okay, they're having some troubles. Because we haven't seen them in two years, but all of a sudden they're, they're back. Now, I'm not judging. I'm just saying we're pretty predictable people. And it is so easy to kind of see how instead of seeking out that person of Christ, we kind of look at the process of Christianity. Well, I want you to know, folks, there is no power in the process of Christianity. 
there is only power in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no magical words that you can utter in your prayers that's going to trigger God's ear more than other words. There's no act that you can do. You can come to church for the rest of your life, never miss a single time. You can come to every event that's there. But if it's a process and your eyes are not focused on the person of Christ, I promise you, you will go away lacking. It may give you just enough comfort being around God's people, around godly things, that it takes you out of the the pit of somewhere else that you were. And it takes you out of maybe a bad situation and puts you at least in the surroundings of a good situation. But folks, church is not the answer. I would even dare to say that religious activity like prayer and all those things are not the answer if they are not directly connected to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we find here. I think the disciples, maybe because they were able to cast out many demons, because they were able to go do this, that maybe when Jesus was gone, they go, okay, now, how did that work again? Okay, well, yeah, we, we, we touch him on the forehead. No, that didn't work. Well, maybe since he's, you know, he, he can't speak, uh, maybe we touch his tongue. Stick out your tongue. Now, what did Jesus do that one time? You know, maybe they were reviewing all this, and they're trying to get the, the right connection. Almost like if you remember when you worked a walk, and you had to do the right combination, 32 to the left, 15 to the right, back two times, and seven, and then it unclocks. And sometimes, folks, we do Christianity that way. We start working a process like, okay, we're going to unlock this, but it has all the ability to get the right numbers and turn it the right way, and then, okay, blessings going to come our way. Folks, apart from the person of Christ, there is not even a process of Christ or Christianity that can do anything for you. At most, at most, it will help you live a moral life. It will teach you a morality. And to live a moral life instead of an immoral life has some benefit temporarily. But none of that is transforming, like we've been talking about the last couple weeks, the power of the resurrection. That's transformation. That's when lives and hearts and minds are changed. See, if if I'm lacking in something, I I don't need just that spot field. What do I need? I need a transformed heart and a transformed mind. And I wonder this morning, this is not judging, this is just purely us talking, okay? This is our family together. Did you really come this morning, honestly, are you looking for a gap to be filled, a, a prayer to be answered to this, or a heart to be transformed and a mind to be transformed? How easy it is to fall in, even people that love Jesus, to fall into a process of Christianity instead of what we just sang about. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, your presence. We need you. You're the only thing that's here worthy to change our our lives and our minds. You're the only one that can change our hearts and our minds. And so we see this happening, and we begin to see... You know, that Jesus responds, and and they're wondering why they couldn't heal. And Jesus kind of gives us the answer of why they couldn't heal. Look at verse 19, Mark 9, 19. And Jesus answered them, said, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear bear with you? Uh, Bring him to me. He says, this is a matter of faith. Uh, Better yet, a, a lack of faith. 
Now, when he calls them a faithless generation, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the Father? Is he talking to the disciples? Is he talking to everybody, the scribes, the, you know, and all the religious leaders? I think it can be kind of inclusive there. I think you could pick out each one of those, and certainly the Father is admitting that he doesn't have it all figured out. The disciples are scratching their head, and we thought we had it figured out, but we don't have it figured out. And certainly the scribes and all the Jewish people are kind of clueless, because if anything, the Jewish uh, religion by that time, and, and Jesus' main you know, gripe with that is that they had turned into a process. And you just do this, this, and this, all works related. If I work it, here I get God's blessing at the end. So really this could fit anyone, and we're not told. I've read all the theology books. I've read all the, the, the commentaries, and nobody really tries to take a, a definite stab at this of, of saying, okay, this is exactly who Christ was talking to. I think he was talking pretty inclusively to everybody there. Okay, guys, you know, it's a lack of faith that is directed toward me. You begin to wonder, with the kind of unbelief that we have. We have belief, but we have unbelief. You know, what is the, the, the magical combination to get God to answer your prayers? Is there? I mean, have, you, have you ever really wondered why some prayers are answered? A friend, you've been praying fervently for, for something to happen, and they have answered prayers in their life, and you don't have answered prayers in your life. Does that, is that a dilemma to you as a Christian? I mean, do you struggle with that? I do. But here's the fault of of my default in that struggle. I look to what I'm doing wrong instead of, okay, God in his wisdom, did he decide to answer this because of his divine will and he has purpose in this, but he doesn't have purpose to, to answer this? My default comes back to what am I doing wrong? What's the process? How can I change this by praying a little bit more? Have you ever thought that maybe if you prayed five hours instead of four hours, that maybe, ah. Have you ever seen, I think it's a State Farm commercial, two gals, they walk into a boutique, and uh, the one gal sees the, uh, the, the pocketbook that she likes. And she goes, and she goes, you know, how much am I saving on my insurance? $120, and she goes, good, I can get this. So she gets that. And, and so, you know, the other girl that's with her goes, you know, she sees something that she wants, and she goes, well, let me try my insurance. And this the guy with the fishing line, and he's got a dollar on the end of it, and he hangs it, Ellen, like right over your head. And she goes, and the minute she grabs it, or tries to grab it, he takes it away. Is that God... When God's answering a prayer over here, do you feel sometimes like, okay, it was dangling? Is that really the character of God? That's not the character of someone who sent his only son, his beloved son, perfect son in every way, died in your place so that you might have intimacy and fellowship with God. You do not serve a God who's dangling a dollar bill at the end of a stick going, ah, if you had been a little bit faster. And I'm not so sure that we serve a God that if you prayed for an hour and 59 minutes, that he said, ah, you are so close, Ricky. Two hours was the secret combination. And one more minute, you were so close. And that prayer would have been answered. Now, we're going to find out later that he does say that this is done by prayer. 
but we're not seeing a, a system of prayer. It's not this that you're working the system. So please don't discount that prayer has its place. But folks, I, I'm not so sure that God doesn't hear a 30-second prayer as much as he hears a 30-hour prayer sometimes when it is a, from a transformed heart, a needy heart, who declares, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? It is that honesty, it is that transparency, it is that vulnerability that I think God honors and blesses. Not how do I work your system. We're no different from the Jewish scribes and the Pharisees at that point if we just start working a religious system. So he says there, verse 20, he points out in And he says, bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him, verse 20. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed. That is this demonic oppressive spirit that he had. And he fell to the ground and he rode about foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. In other words, pretty much all of his life he's had this. Verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But if you, but if you can do anything. In the original Greek, it's actually as a form. You may not have it in your Bible as a question, but it is in the form of a question in the original language. I always wondered why they haven't kind of put more of a question in there. Do you think the Father's response is, is an authentic one? Is it one of, of great faith? He came seeking Jesus. He heard stories about Jesus. At least he's kind of traveled down that road to go find out Jesus. He just found the other nine disciples. And finally Jesus comes on the scene after they have failed. And, and I don't know about you, but he's probably pretty discouraged right now because I don't know, again, it was it three minutes, three hours? Was it half the day that they had tried everything possible to heal this boy and without any results? And so finally Jesus shows up. He's relieved that at least Jesus is there now. And look at his words. But if you can do anything... Had compassion on him, him and help us. That word in the Greek, the compassion, is one that's uh, tied to your intestines, not trying to be gross or anything, but the very heart of you. You know when you're really, really sad? I'm not talking about just kind of depressed, but I'm talking about like really sad, how it hurts in your stomach. I mean, you just are the core of your very fiber and being. Have you ever been that upset before? Well, that's where this word comes from. It's compassion used in the Greek word means to run to. It means splinkna. It means from the stomach, from, this, from your bowels, from your very fiber and being. That will you run with compassion? Will you run to my aid? That's what he asked Jesus. I have a, I have a hurt, Jesus, that goes all the way down to my very core. And I'm asking you, will you, will you run? Will you run? Will you show compassion? Will you run to my need? Jesus looks and his response, verse 23, if you can. Again, it's really more of a question than what we see in the translation. And and then he says, all things are possible for him who believes. Do do you think Jesus is pointing the finger and says, if you can? 
I mean, it's the, it's the struggle here in this discourse with the Father and Jesus. Is Jesus upset that the Father doesn't have defined, mature, accomplished faith? Or is he just simply maybe pointing out, okay, you come to me, but now you're asking if I can. Father, you need to decide in your heart if you really think I can. Because that's where, you know, that next verse, when you look there, in verse 23, if you can, all things are possible for me, for him who believes. We, we take that way out of context. You know how we usually use that? All things are possible for the one who believes. As a process. Turn on late night evangelism on your TV. And they have turned that sacred word of God into a process. Hey, you send me $100, you do this, I'll send you a prayer cloth that I've wet my brow with. And, I'll get, and I'm not trying to be funny, I'm certainly not trying to be disrespectful, but folks, so much of what we see oftentimes associated with this great word that all things are possible for him who believes involves a process rather than the person of Christ. It very much involves do this. This is on your shoulders. If I remember correctly, the cross was on his shoulders. And that grave was his grave. And that empty tomb is his empty tomb, not mine. And yet there's responsibility there. I think this response of Jesus, if you can, since he said, you know, is there anything that you can do, Jesus? If you can, can you do this? And I think Jesus' response is not, it's not rhetorical. I don't believe that it is something that is judgmental as much as it is, okay, Dad, dig down deep. Why did you come see me? Did you come see me because I have a spiritual process that you can work Or did you really come and seek out who you believe to be the Messiah? And I believe that that's the question that is valid, very valid for Christ to ask me sometimes. Hey, Bobby, are you coming seeking out a spiritual process? Or in your prayer tonight, in your brokenheartedness, in your worry and dilemma, do you really want me? Because it just sounded like you were trying to look for a process to work, Bobby, rather than me, the person of Christ. I don't know if that ever happens in your prayer life, in your spiritual life, but it does happen in mine. Well, God, I prayed for 35 minutes. And with somebody who has an attention deficit disorder like me, that cannot stay focused for a second, 35 minutes of prayer, guys... I might as well be Moses. You know, I mean, that is just, I'm just telling you, that, that is a discipline that I have never been able to ace is long periods of time in prayer. My mind, I mean, after five, ten minutes, I'm pretty focused. After that, was that a squirrel? Is the wind blowing? What was that noise? Is the air on? And man, I mean, I got ten minutes that I might be able to stay focused, but after that, Every thought in the world comes into my mind. And so you fall back into that trap of thinking, okay, but if I could pray for 15 or 20 minutes, God would be impressed. When has God ever been impressed with our prayers? Do you realize that the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us, that in resurrected life, post-resurrection, that we have two people praying for us, 
The very Son of God is praying on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. Okay, guys. Let's, okay. Bobby's praying, the Holy Spirit's praying, and Jesus is praying. Really? My prayers are going to rank up there? Now, again, I'm not discounting the intimacy of prayer. We're going to get back to that and God's desire for me to be a prayerful person. But is it really in a system of saying the right prayer? Am I going to out-pray Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And yet, how many of us have ever fallen into that trap of thinking, man, if I could just say it the right way, if I could just come, if I could find this combination to this lock, then maybe all these prayers would be answered. No, I think what he wants is verse 24. Immediately the father cried out. Now, immediately to, to what? What is he responding to? When Jesus came back and said, if I can, all things are possible for him who believes. I mean, that was his response to the father's first request. If you can do anything, if, if you can just help him instead of him having a, 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 one of these sicknesses once a day, if it could be once a week. I mean, I think the father is searching for any direction and help in his son's life, as any loving parent would do. And so Jesus responds, if I can, all things are possible for him who believes. I want you to know, I want you to search your heart, Daddy, to, to say, okay, are you looking for a process or a per- person? And then he comes back and he says, okay, so it's, it's just really this belief. It's this faith. And so immediately the father of the child does what? How does it express it? He cried out. Immediately, he hears this and immediately cries out this truest confession transparent of a transparent heart that I know of, maybe from any human being, save Christ himself and all the Bible. I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Jesus, I, I believe in God. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I I believe these things. I I don't have a mature faith. There are so many things I wouldn't be able to answer theologically. I've got a lot of facts, and I believe those things that I believe. But I just know that I do believe those things. But I know that I have a lot of things that I just, I, I have unbelief. And I don't know if that's not one of the purest prayers. Maybe I like it because of that intention, my intention deficiency. I like it because it's, what, six words. I think God likes it because it's the truest proclamation of our heart, spiritually speaking. And I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Now, what is it that he believed? He doesn't elaborate. But I think that his belief is, okay, I I came seeking out Jesus. I've heard stories about you. I see you now. I, I believe in, in this general sense all that you are, but I don't know that I know it in that personal way. So will you help me as I want to personally grow in my understanding and in my walk with you? And what a beautiful, beautiful prayer that is for us to pray. I love theology. I love to know the foundation of our beliefs. I love that when a skeptic would come along, I would be able to say in, in, a, in a good if you want to say uh, argument going back, a respectful argument going back, hey, here's why I believe what I believe. Now, I, I think we have to have a, that foundation. I think there's always purpose in theological study and having the answers to things. But folks, 
never, never, never is that sufficient for Christian growth apart from the person of Christ. The facts about Christ is good for fodder, for the mind and for the heart and for encouragement, but it's the person of Christ that has saved me. It's no different in marriage. Well, legally, you're my wife. So, yeah, that works in my house. About probably like it works in your house. <laughs> that legal status, as real and as true as it is, separated from the person and the intimacy of the relationship, is nothing. I don't want to say it's nothing. Uh, the law is still going to look at it a certain way. And, you know, there's going to be facts that kind of bind there. But you see what I'm, where I'm going with that? You know, it's not the legal status. It's not this formal thing that causes marriage to be marriage and husband and wife. It's the intimacy. It's this helpmate relationship. That's what God invited us to when he said, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And I'm not so sure that that's not the invitation that he's given to us, the church, his bride, to he, the groom. Hey, look, we're not just looking for a legal status, even though there is a legal status. That's what Romans is all about, is the legal... Romans is Paul's treaty on the legal status that we are no longer slaves to fear and no longer slaves to failure, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, but that we are now the sons and daughters of the living King. So there's a legal status. We don't make light of that. But apart from the intimacy of the person of Christ, it just doesn't work, guys. And so as we conclude this morning, you know, we begin to see all this. I mean, he does come back when later on and uh, in, in this profession. Part of it is that I believe is profession. He's professing that he believes. The other part is a confession. Help my unbelief. I am not there yet. And so the disciples later on, when they get Jesus away, they said, well, why couldn't we drive out that spirit? You know, you did it. You drove it out. You, you seemingly the, the guy, the young uh, son faints. Jesus <clears throat> picks him up. He's restored. He has wholeness of life. Why, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, this comes by prayer. And before you think, okay, but that's a process. We just came from the person, the process. Now, what does prayer, real prayer, do to us, guys? Whether it's five seconds long, five minutes long, or five hours long. Prayer is the essence of the intimacy of the relationship that we have with the Father. Made possible through the work of Christ. Prayer is not your time to, to deliver your list of goods to the Father and work a process. That's why we're told not to really have repetitive prayers. Jesus, when they were doing repetitive prayers, he said, are you going to be like that guy on the street corner that just says the same thing over and over again? Kind of like you're working a process? One of the greatest prayers I believe that you or I could ever pray, when it it comes from the heart, when we have an understanding of it, is this simple prayer. Jesus, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? I believe, but will you help me in these areas that I'm really struggling with? 
Because that broad thing that you are the God of all creation, that you gave your only son, that only life comes through him, I get all that and I believe that. But why am I so stressed out of how I'm going to pay rent next month? Why am I so stressed out because this infirmity has not left me? Or I've prayed this prayer for my son as this father did and it hasn't been answered yet. That's the intimacy to be able to trust the character of the one that you're intimate with. Last illustration will go. In marriage, how many of y'all have been married for at least um, one day and you have found your spouse to be perfect? That's what I thought. And yet in that imperfection and in that lacking, it's the intimacy of the heart. You you don't so much trust that they're always going to make the right decision, but do you trust their heart? Do you trust them? I mean, I have failed so many times, but at the end of the day, I think Carly can trust my heart. Bobby, you blew that, but you meant well. If I had a dollar for every time she thought that, I'd be a rich man. But in a way, isn't that the intimacy of a relationship rather than regulation of a relationship? Because if we built relationship on performance, you better be pretty good. And if we're going to build our relationship with Christ on performance, then you better be pretty good. No, it's built on his performance and what he did. Now, because of that performance and that, now he brings us into the intimacy of this relationship. Does that make sense? And that's why at the end of the day, even when it hasn't been the perfect marriage, you can say, man, I love this guy. I love this gal. And that's why at the end of the day, not taking the legal status aside from what Paul says about theologically what has happened in all the relationship with Christ and how he has taken on our sins and given us his righteousness, kind of putting that aside, when I'm just talking about the intimacy and this belief of what I believe was really in this heart of this father, I think he was saying, man, I am so far from perfect, I am so far from this, but I come with one thing, I come with great need, and I know I've come to the right place. And at the end of the day, that's the Christian life, guys. Not working a process, not using some code prayer words, Not saying, okay, man, a minute and 59. If I would have known that it was two hours, I would have prayed for a minute longer. But knowing that we come into an intimate relationship based on the performance of Jesus Christ, now in that intimacy, we can with all transparency say, I believe that God, will you help me with my unbelief? Because I still have doubts. I still have struggles. I still have a tug of war going on in my mind and my heart, but I know that I have come to the right place. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. And Father, I, I love the simplicity of this prayer. Father, I think it's perhaps one of the most authentic in the whole Bible. And Father, I pray that it would be my heart. Father, I pray that it would be the heart of the people of Cornerstone. That, Father, that instead of trying to work church, work religion, work Christianity as a process 
that, Father, that we would simply come to the person, Father, your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we would come with our need and we would come, as this Father did, said, if you can do anything, but that we would have that glad response to be able to say, this comes by belief and this comes by, by trusting. This comes by the intimacy of the relationship. This is where real faith is built, not on some performance level, but on what Christ has invited you into. Father, I pray that we then could respond in such authenticity to say, I believe, Father, I believe you. Will you help me with my unbelief? Father, for that one that is struggling in marriage this morning, Father, I pray that they would come to you in the intimacy of a Savior. And Father, I pray that they would come this day knowing in their heart perhaps that that they desire for you to fix this marriage, to to heal the the wounds and the hurts that are there, that they would just say, okay, God, I, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Will you show me? Will you grow me? Will you mature me? Will you transform my heart and my mind? For for that parent, that dad, that mom, that has been faithfully praying for a son or a daughter, Father, would you tell them and let them know today that you have heard every prayer? Will you relieve them of working a process and let them rest in the person of your son, Jesus Christ? And Father, for that one this morning, they said, I just came. I didn't even know why I came this morning. And maybe they don't know you, Father. Father, will you show them that what we have here at Cornerstone, Father, is not, we're not pushing religion. We're not pushing a system that we just want to fall madly in love with the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Whatever our need, Father, let us come to your altar this day. And Father, help us to respond to you in simple childlike faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. As we pray this by Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.